Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I used to spend so many mornings Googling, how can I moderate my drinking? I thought if I could just figure out the right strategy, then I would be able to control my drinking. But what I didn't realize was that I spent nearly all of my time drinking or thinking about my drinking, which meant that my drinking was already controlling me. To celebrate this milestone episode of releasing 150 episodes of the podcast, I want to go over 15 moderation strategies that I tried that didn't work. So I hope this makes you laugh if you've tried any of these two, or if you're drinking, you would have thought that these were a great idea. And if you're stuck trying to moderate your drinking, then I hope this can help you work towards letting moderation go. It's not worth it. So let's dig in. 
welcome to episode 150 of the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm your host, Jill, and today we are talking about moderation. So I want to go over 15 different ways that I tried to moderate my drinking. So the first one, having set days where I said I wouldn't drink. For a while, I tried to say I'm not going to drink Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And the problem is I would have my resolve. I'm not going to drink. I'd go to work. And then as the day went on, my reasons for drinking started showing up and I would talk myself into it. By lunch, I'd start bargaining with myself. And in the afternoon, I was set on that I'm going to drink when I get home from work. I was a daily drinker and it was very rare that I would skip a day. And usually the only time I would skip a day is if I was too hungover and sick to physically drink. So even though I tried for a a long time to have set days where I wouldn't drink, I was basically never successful with that. There was always the thought of, I deserve it. It's been a long day. I'm stressed. I need to take the edge off. Or my husband would want to drink and he would ask if I wanted to go out. And then how am I going to go out and not drink? So that one never worked. My second strategy was having a weekly drink limit and then keeping a record of it in a notebook or an app. So I set a limit, but my limit was actually, I think it was 30 drinks. I think my goal was to have 30 drinks a week. And if I did that, then I felt like I was being successful. So I wasn't even trying to set a goal of like, you know, the guidelines for women are seven or less drinks a week. I wasn't even trying to actually moderate. I was just trying to drink a little bit less. And I thought 30 drinks a week was a good number for me. But the problem was I would start counting on Monday and then by Saturday, I was like out of drinks already. So that was a big problem that I encountered a lot. So then the solution of that would be start my week on Friday. So I get 30 drinks starting on Friday so I don't come across the same problem. And the thought process was, well, if I can't really drink that much on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, that's okay because those were the days that... I'm not supposed to drink anyways, but it never worked. It never, ever worked. I don't think there was a week where I successfully kept my drinks at 30 or less. So when that didn't work, I tried my third strategy, which was drinking a glass of water after each drink. And I think if you Google how to moderate your drinking, I think these are all of the things that come up right away. This is all the advice that you're going to find. So I would have my glass of wine and then I would drink a glass of water one after the other. But the issue here and the issue with most of these moderation strategies is once you get like two or three drinks in, you don't really care that much anymore. And you're kind of like, eh, screw it. I drank enough water. So that one didn't work either. But then I had the bright idea of strategy number four, diluting my wine with water. And this was one that I did a lot at parties because when I went to a party, it was a big, long thing of like many, many hours. And it was really hard not to get disgustingly drunk. So I would pour half a glass of wine and then I would pour in half a glass of water in it. And same thing as the others. This worked 
kind of. I mean, it didn't work at all. Let's be honest. But it worked like on drink one or two. And by worked, I mean like I did it. And then by the third drink, you're kind of just like, eh, screw it. I don't need to do this anymore. Like, who cares? I'm having fun. So that one never allowed me to successfully drink less. But along the same thought process, I thought of strategy number five. Buy the strongest wine that I could find so then I could make those two drinks count more. And really, moderation, first of all, it's one drink for women. So I was already not moderating, but it's not just two glasses of wine. And I was filling it up way more than the standard drink, but a standard drink is five ounces of 12% wine. So buying the strongest wine I could find is not, it's not moderation, but I just wanted to have two drinks. I didn't care if they were two standard drinks. I just wanted to have two and stop. So I would go to the store with my husband and we used to play this game, who can find the strongest bottle of wine that's also the cheapest? And it was super fun. And I would buy that bottle of wine and I would try to have my two drinks and make them count more because hopefully if it was a little stronger, I would have more of a chance of being satisfied from the two drinks. That was the thought process. And it never worked. Those two drinks never satisfied me. They just made me feel disappointed that there wasn't a third and fourth drink. And often my husband and I didn't want to drink the same type of wine. So we would each get our own bottle. So then by the time I've had two drinks, oh, I'm just going to have a splash. I'm just going to have a little splash. And you do that like 10 times and then you drink the rest of the bottle. So that one also never worked. And around that time, I accepted I'm going to drink the entire bottle no matter what. So my next strategy was buying the weakest wine that I could find, because then if I drink the entire bottle, it's not as much alcohol. So I would try to find the weakest wine. But then I found another problem with this one because my husband would have his alcohol. So I would just dip into his after I was done with my bottle of weak wine. Or we went through this one phase where we had these other heavy drinker friends come over a lot. And once we bought this giant bottle of whiskey, like the biggest bottle you could ever buy, my husband did it. I don't know why. It was a terrible idea. It was very expensive. But I would dip into that after I finished my weak bottle of wine. And that was always a bad night. When I went to get out that gross bottle of cheap whiskey, that was guaranteed to be a bad night. So I would find alcohol no matter what. And there's always a way to rationalize it in your head. Like it's just a splash or I'm having so much fun. I'm not even that drunk. Have you ever said that one to yourself? I'm not even that drunk. But we were really actually that drunk. Strategy seven, I wore rubber bands on my wrist to track the number of drinks that I could have. When the app and the notebook didn't work, I thought tracking by having like a physical reminder might help. I read a story about a guy who would go to parties and he would have coins in his pocket and then he would shift the coins from one pocket to the other based on the number of drinks he had left. Seemed like it was brilliant. So I tried it. I wore a lot of dresses back then, so I never had pockets, so I did rubber bands. So I would give myself three rubber bands. Again, 
not moderation, but I would give myself three rubber bands and I would move them. And by the time I got to the third, the panic would set in and I would start bargaining and rationalizing and making excuses of why I could have one more drink or just a splash. That's what I saw a lot of people do. I'm just going to have a splash more. So I would make all these excuses to have more and I would never have those three drinks. My eighth strategy, going to the gym at night, so I delayed when I started drinking. This one was kind of effective because I would go to group fitness, so it was like I had an appointment, and I would go to the gym from like 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. I would usually do like two classes back to back, and then I delayed the start of my drinking till 8 p.m., where usually I would start at 5, and that did actually help, but... I made up for it on the nights I didn't go to the gym and I made up for it on the weekend. So if you're listening to this and you're secretly looking for some inspiration on how to moderate, like delaying the start of your drinking, sure. I mean, unless you stay up later to compensate, you might drink less, but it's not a sustainable strategy. You shouldn't have to have a strategy to drink less or to try to trick yourself into drinking less. That's the main part of the problem. My ninth strategy, I tracked calories from alcohol in my fitness pal. And I thought if I could just see how many calories I was drinking, I would drink less. Like, no, that's not true. Because what happened was I ate less food so that I could drink alcohol. I would actually start my day by tracking the alcohol and I would track how much I wanted to drink. And then I would make my food choices based on the remaining calories. So it didn't work at all. I prioritized alcohol. And after that, once I, you know, consistently drank way more than I said, I basically drank my entire allotted calories for the day. I started lying about how much I was drinking to the app, which is not very helpful. And then I just said, screw it. And alcohol calories don't count. Have you ever said that one to yourself? I said that all the time. Alcohol calories don't count. Like, yeah, they do, actually. They count a lot, but this strategy was not effective at all. I do not recommend it because then it gets you in the whole loop with disordered eating. And disordered eating and drinking go really, really well together. So don't mess around with this strategy. Number 10, I tried to have mocktails on days that I said I wouldn't drink. And I don't remember if I ever successfully did this. I feel like I may have, but I remember I tried to do this at a party and I was actually okay with it. I was fine with my mocktail and I didn't have cravings for alcohol. This was back early when I was sober curious and my problem wasn't as severe. But the people at the party gave me such a hard time and made fun of me for not drinking alcohol and pressured me that I just started slamming vodka shots to catch up with them. And this is not the norm. I know you might be afraid that you're going to lose all your friends and people aren't going to like you. This is not the norm. This is when I was very young and immature and I was friends with people that were very young and immature. And this does not actually happen. In the three and a half years that I've been sober, like this has never happened to me ever again. So don't be afraid of that. But right after that is when I lost the ability to choose to have a mocktail. So I don't think I ever successfully had a mocktail instead of an actual drink, but I tried. 
And in early sobriety, mocktails or non-alcoholic beers, they can be an excellent tool for you if you're struggling like you want the taste or you want to feel like you have a treat every night. It's fine as long as it doesn't trigger you. So if you go listen to episode 77, I explained how non-alcoholic drinks can potentially trigger some people and what's happening in their brain. And I also explained why they are safe to drink and they're not going to ruin your sobriety based on the alcohol content. So that's episode 77. Number 11, I actually ended friendships with some of my drinking buddies because it was all their fault that I drank so much when we went out. All their fault. So we would go out and I would get drunker than I normally would if I was drinking at home just with my husband. So clearly that was their fault. And when it happened enough times and I would get sick or filled with shame, I stopped being their friend so that I could protect my drinking and keep it in my life. What ended up happening, though, was strategy number 12 towards the end of my drinking, not going out with people at all. I started isolating because I can't trust myself to control my drinking when I'm out with other people or going to parties, so I'm not going to go at all. And if I stay home, then I can keep myself safe. That was my thinking. And isolating is so not good for us. Episode 111 is all about how drinking alone accelerates the process of developing a problem. And drinking alone was my freaking jam. So I didn't realize I was dooming myself. But I thought that it was everyone else's fault. They pressured me into drinking so much. It was their fault. It was not my fault. Strategy number 13, once I started isolating, I only bought the amount of alcohol that I planned to consume. At this point in my drinking, I believed that I could not stop once I started. So I had to do things to make sure that I wouldn't drink way too much. So we stopped keeping extra wine in the house. We threw out that disgusting bottle of whiskey, thank goodness. And my husband wouldn't keep any spare alcohol either. We would start sharing bottles of wine so that I could have two drinks and stop. And on the weekends, I would buy one bottle of wine and he would do whatever. Sometimes I would walk to the store and get more, but it helped during the week because I stopped because I had to. But the problem was, just because you stop doesn't mean that you're satisfied with the amount that you drank. I would go to bed every single night and I would think, what a waste those two drinks were. I should have just had none, so at least I could feel proud of myself. So even then, when I was successfully having two and stopping, I was still not satisfied. And Looking back now, I realize like you can't control the amount of alcohol that satisfies you, but I was really trying to get that control. I thought if I could just figure it out, figure out how to have two and stop, I'd be fine. But those two drinks never satisfied me. Around this time was when my mental health started getting worse and I took a 90 day break out of desperation to cure myself. So my 14th strategy was taking 90 days off to cure myself. I thought if I can stop, then I'll have a healthy reset. My tolerance is just too high. It's just a bad habit. And if I can do 90 days, it means I'm not an alcoholic and then I'm fine. So I took those 90 days off and then I did actually moderate for two months. 
I had two drinks on Saturday. I stopped on my own and I didn't want to drink any of the other days. And this was down. Like if you remember from the beginning of the episode, like I couldn't even get to 30 drinks a week. Like that was the goal. So I went from like 40 plus down to two. So that's actually cured. Like I really believed that I was cured. And even though I was still actively drinking and I was isolating and avoiding going out, I did have to go to some things like family parties. So my very last strategy was not drinking at parties because, again, I can't trust myself with other people. They pressure me. It's their fault. It's too many hours of drinking. So I would go and I would not drink at parties. And I actually had a good time. Like it wasn't that I was resisting cravings. Like I thought that I was doing it to protect alcohol and to protect my drinking. So I was fine to not drink at parties. And that was when I started to get some proof that I don't actually need alcohol to have fun. And the issue with the 90 days is you can't isolate forever. So I was moderating for two months, but then we went on a cruise and we had the drink package. And I thought, I'm just going to drink the way I want. It's vacation. I'll get back to moderation when I get home. And that's the problem. I'm just going to drink the way that I want. And I didn't realize that at the time. So I went and I drank every day. I completely blew up my life. I can't even look at the pictures from that cruise. I feel so ashamed. It was my first time in Europe and I totally ruined it. And when I got home, I was right back to daily drinking with absolutely no control over myself. And eventually through that experience, a few more months went by before I accepted, like I've tried hard enough. I can't change the way that I drink. I can't change how much alcohol satisfies me. So maybe these strategies work a little bit, but they require a lot of focus. And once you get a little buzz on, you completely stop caring. The problem isn't that we don't have the right strategy to control our drinking. The problem is that we are incapable of being satisfied with one or two drinks. And for some of us who are further down the spectrum, we're incapable of stopping once we've started. No fancy strategy is going to allow you to be satisfied with one drink. And I'm lucky that there weren't apps or coaches that could teach me to moderate back then and that I wasn't aware of them if there were because that would have kept me stuck in the cycle for longer and I would have lost so much money. Oh my God. The list could have become so much longer. If you're trying to moderate or you're hoping that you'll be able to moderate someday, then I promise you, you can't. I may not know your exact drinking, but what I do know is if you resonated with any part of this episode, it's because you know the struggle. And if you know the struggle, then it's easier to just have no drinks than to try to force yourself to stop after one or two. That just causes cravings that you have to resist. And keeping the hope of moderating alive prevents you from moving on and living your life. Alcohol is not essential for your life. And despite what you may believe right now, it's not helping you in any way. It's fueling the misery, stress, and confusion that you feel right now. If you're listening to this episode when it's released, then I will be celebrating three and a half years of sobriety on Tuesday, May 9th. And even though I still think that it would be nice to have a glass of wine every once in a while, it's just not worth it to me. And I accept 
the reality of my drinking. I have a free, super secret, private podcast about five blocks that are holding you back from quitting drinking. If you would like to listen to it, then either check out the link in the show notes or go to soberpower.com slash five blocks. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be a huge help if you could share it with someone and help me get the word out there that moderation sucks and it's the worst. And I believe in you. Keep going. And I will talk to you next week. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.